Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, innovators, and sometimes people with just fascinating stories. Today, we're talking with award-winning journalist Andy Alexander, who is board chair of the Foothills Forum, a nonprofit news organization in Rappahannock County, Virginia. Also joining us is Danny Kington, co-founder of the Athens County Independent, a nonprofit news group in rural Ohio. We're talking about the devastating decline in local news and what might eventually save it. Andy, we've seen a, a real degradation of, of local news outlets Uh could you sort of give us a, a snapshot of the landscape of what we're actually looking at nationally? Uh, happy to. Uh, first of all, let's, let's just state the obvious. It's a huge societal problem. Uh, local news is so essential to civic engagement and, uh, and democracy, a functioning democracy. I was sort of struck by a New York Times story in the last week that talked about uh, challenges of local news, and it framed it as the rebirth of local news. And I thought that was actually appropriate because we are clearly in a crisis, but there's an awful lot going on. So let's talk about the crisis for a second. On average now, um, we are across the nation losing about two local newspapers a week. And when you lose a local paper, studies show that it is typically not replaced by a digital alternative. Over the past 20 years, and there are various studies that have different figures, but roughly 1,800 papers that used to serve, or communities that used to be served by newspapers, no longer have a newspaper. Uh, That is a tremendous number of millions of people who are no longer then served with fact-based, fair journalism. Over the past 15 years, uh, the number of personnel in newsrooms has dropped by about 60%. And uh, the result of this is when you have depleted staffs, even if a newspaper continues to exist, both in print and online, uh, you, you frequently get what we call ghost newspapers. They, you see them, they have content, but it's not very good content. It's uh, typically only a, a small percentage of the local content uh, is locally produced. So that's that's the problem. Now, the, the good news is that there's just a tremendous amount of experimentation going on as we try to stop the decline of or the loss of newspapers and come up with sustainable business models for alternatives. And we'll probably get into that in in a little bit. But the consequences of losing a local trusted source of of quality journalism is that communities are, are, they suffer uh, in so many ways. Endless studies show that when you lose your local newspaper, voter participation plummets, civic engagement declines, Taxes tend to go up because very often you don't even have news coverage of public meetings where taxing and spending is is debated. Um, We have an increase in polarization. Uh, People then tend to go to other news sources, very often 
national, that are ideological. So the end result is that communities suffer. suffer. It's a, local newspapers, local news outlets that have been around forever have often been talked about as the connective tissue in communities. And I think that's a, a good way of, of looking at it. So that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell. We're in a, we're in a crisis period, but there, it's a, also an exciting period uh, to see how we can solve these problems. It seems like, though, uh, that we're, Andy, that we're hitting this in two ways. You know, studies have shown six in, in 10 Americans say they trust local news more than they do national news. Eight in 10, 80, almost 80 percent uh, say they have more trust in local news to give them information that they need to get involved in their community. So we have this big trust factor, yet a disappearing resource. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, mix right there, and you know it it raises a question of how we in or how local news outlets position themselves from a marketing standpoint. I think one of the problems that Americans suffer uh, sort of struggle with is that there is a very low trust level in the media, but but how do you define the media? You know, is it national? Is it ideological? Are we talking about commentators versus, uh, you know, actual uh, nonpartisan reporters? That's where, as you point out, local news tends to have an advantage. There is a higher trust level with people uh, who read an outlet in their community. They see the reporters at work. They often go to church or run into a uh, the editor or reporter at the, at the supermarket. So there's just a higher trust level. And, and actually, and this will sound silly for someone like me who spent his career in Washington journalism, but uh, local journalism is, is immensely rewarding because of that closeness to your audience. So it, it makes it worthwhile to try and save what we can. Danny, uh, turning to, to you, I know one of the big thrusts of the Athens Independent that that you're involved in, and we'll get to the details of that a bit in a bit, but is community engagement. How do you define community engagement for what you're trying to do in an area that's underserved for local news? Thanks, Tom. Uh, That's a great question. Uh, You know, we have, uh, since founding the Athens County Independent in 2022, wanted to make it a really big priority to engage with our readers and supporters as people um, for all the reasons that Andy talked about. Um, It's just critical to building trust, and it's also very important uh, for us as journalists to, you know, foster connection uh, to the community. Um, and I think that we do that in various ways. Um, you know, we've hosted some community engagement events where we've just invited all of the folks reading our newsletter out to come talk, uh, you know, at one of our local uh, bars, uh, just real informal events um, so that folks can meet the journalists covering local news uh, and share ideas, feedback, tips, and so on. Um, and then we also... Uh, engage our, uh, our supporters with an annual forum um, where folks can, you know, have more guided and, uh, you know, facilitated discussion about our work and what they've liked and resonated with and, and so on. Um, but then beyond all of that, in the day-to-day, I think it's just about, you know, how you uh, approach engaging with the community as you're reporting um, I went to a village council meeting last night in Chansey, uh, and I just always make it a point to introduce myself to the residents in the room, uh, not just the you know village council members. Um, Chansey is a very small village in Athens County, Ohio, in the right. Appalachian foothills, right? Yes. Um, so, and I, you know, I just strike up conversation with the people next to me. I want the Athens County Independent to be accessible to everybody in the community, uh, and for people to identify it as as their local news source. Um, and I think that really requires uh, 
you know, that people do know who the journalists are, uh, recognize us in the supermarket, like Andy said. So, yeah. Let, let me ask you, uh, the Athens County Independent did a uh, reader's survey not too long ago. That in itself, I, I assume, is part of community engagement. Yeah, absolutely. But but also, as a result of that, you've got some pretty outstanding figures about your weekly listing of public meetings and public gatherings. Could you talk about that? Sure. Um, yeah, one of the things that was most uh, you know, impressive, I think, in our survey results, and that I felt the most, you know, humbled and and excited to see um, was the questions we asked about impact. Um, you know, a, a lot of the survey focused on how people were responding to our work and, uh, you know, what people thought about the quality, trustworthiness of the coverage and so on. But we also asked questions like, has our coverage ever prompted you to attend a public meeting? Um, and 20% of the people who answered that question said yes. Um, 26% of people uh, who were asked whether our coverage had prompted them to vote in an election said yes. Uh, and 24% said that our coverage informed you know, how they were going to vote in an election. Um, and then we also asked people whether they'd ever attended a, just any sort of community event because of reading about it in uh, our newsletter. And 46% of the people who responded to that question said yes. So I think, you know, it really is, uh, although it's a limited sample, um, it was really impressive to see that folks were actually, you know, not only reading what we're putting out there, but that it's prompting them to engage in their community or engage in civic life in a different way. And I guess, Andy, that circles back to what you were saying about in engaging in democracy and the link between local news and and democratic activities. Yes, uh, exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad Danny mentioned the survey. I, I had occasion to read the results. I think, Tom, you had shared those with me. I was very impressed with that survey and the impact of the independent. Uh, Foothills Forum is a different model, which we will uh, get into probably in, in a few minutes. But uh, we are now celebrating our 10th anniversary. And one of the first things we did was we rounded up a bunch of money and paid the survey research arm of the University of Virginia, which is not that far away, to do a survey at the outset when we were created, asking people in the county uh, of only about 7,300 people, asking them uh, about the issues that mattered to them. And it was one of the smartest things that we ever did because it, it enabled us to understand what people felt were big issues. And I would have predicted everyone would have said taxes and spending. That was not the top issue. The top issue was uh, inadequate broadband and cell service in this rural area. And right down, down the line, there were surprises like that. Well, why was that important? Um, Two reasons. It uh, it gave voice to people in the community, and we had a phenomenal response rate. Uh, but it also enabled us journalistically to say, okay, we know at the outset what people say are really important issues. And we just started tackling those issues in order and have written extensively about them. So you, you, can't, you can't engage with the community enough. It's not always easy, though, because you... Uh, in a sense, you want your journalism to do to speak for itself, as opposed to donning hats and uh, t-shirts with your name on it, and you know, uh, trying to promote yourself that way. You can come across as a little bit too aggressive. But over time, if you stick with it, if you produce quality content, if you're actually really reporting by talking to people, you'll build the trust and the awareness in the community that you need. So both of you uh, are, are talking about uh, community engagement, and one of the things that that I want to talk about is the fact that both of your news organizations uh, rely very heavily on being nonpartisan. Uh, I want to talk about the importance of nonpartisanship in local news. And let me just toss in one other thing. The uh, area that I'm now living in, Plymouth, Massachusetts, uh, has a brand new, it started this fall, uh, nonprofit news 
uh, source called the uh, Plymouth Independent. And if you look at their uh, policies, one of the things they stress very heavily is being nonpartisan, even to the point where they do not write editorials for or against any particular issue. It's just straight reportage. Uh, how important, uh, let's start with you, Danny, but I also want to hear from Andy. How important is it for you to remain nonpartisan uh, for community support and trust? Thanks for this question, Tom. Um, you know, as a nonprofit uh, 501c3 organization, um, you know, we are legally required to be uh, nonpartisan in, in certain respects. You know, we're not able to... Um, write editorials like endorsing candidates or issues, as you mentioned with the Plymouth Independent as well. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important uh, in our approach to covering local news um, that we do, you know, take a very nonpartisan uh, approach um, in our reporting. I think people, p- people's lack of trust in media and the decline of trust in media, I think, has a lot to do with um, the perception of, you know, news outlets as partisan entities. Um, so it's an uphill battle, I think, in some ways to, to build that kind of trust um, among readers that this is a truly nonpartisan endeavor. Uh, but, you know, in Athens County, we have such a big political mix. Um, people think of the city of Athens as being very liberal, and it uh, tends to be in different uh, you know, in elections. Um, the home of Ohio University, so it's a university center. Yes. Um, but then we have various outlying communities with uh, a whole range of different, um, you know, political orientations um, and and differences within those communities too, of course. And so in trying to represent uh, the whole of Athens County and be a news source for the whole of Athens County, I think it is, you know, really important that we don't uh, engage in political coverage in any sort of partisan way. I think it's absolutely critical to having a, a trusted uh, news outlet that can be sustained for the community. Andy, you have a, a region that's uh, probably best characterized as uh, have and have not residents. Uh, those haves usually uh, generate from the Washington, D.C. area that have come to your area to retire or to to live. And then you have the indigenous population that's less well off. Um, How do you walk the fine line of being able to report issues that resonate with both? Well, it's, it's often not easy. I should maybe explain to the audience where we are. We are in a county that is about um, 70 or 80 miles west of Washington, D.C. We, we abut the Shenandoah National Park and the, and the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, it's a very rural community of uh, only about 73, 7,400 people. Uh, politically, in the last election, it was about 62% Trump. Um, uh, there are uh, there's a large portion of the population that has come from D.C. They tend to be uh, more progressive uh, or progressives and, and liberals. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I, I, like Danny, our starting point is we are a nonprofit, so we have certain strictures on partisanship. Uh, but even if that didn't exist, uh, we consider nonpartisan journalism as our brand. Now, to put that in the context nationally, I think one interesting thing that has happened with media over the last 15 or 20 years, and it really uh, uh, was true in this nation more than 100 years, that ideology uh, in many cases has become a business model for news outlets. Uh, They adopt a certain ideology, whether it be Fox News, MSNBC, whatever. I think our business model, to the extent that a nonprofit can have a business model, is that we promote ourselves openly as nonpartisan. And we do get pushback from people in the community who don't like a particular story. But when you talk to them very often, it's because that story did not fit their worldview or their preconceived uh, notion or their ideology. 
And uh, I always try to reason with people that way. But at the end of the day, um, I'm probably not going to win them over. But I will tell you that by pushing this nonpartisan brand, it helps us with a tremendous number of people who want to give us contributions, large and, and small. They kind of are saying, look, we understand there's ideology out there. We understand you may have biases privately, but that we are endorsing you uh, because we believe that you are trying your best to be nonpartisan and to present relevant opposing sides of issues. So uh, we embrace it. And I, I can also tell you as board chair, we, we have a board that uh, is very diverse politically, but we have never once had a discussion about doing journalism on an ideological basis. And that's the way it will remain. And and you you think that resonates with the community to the point of support, whether it's financial or or uh, otherwise. I, I think it does. With with, uh, I guess the best way to put it is it resonates with the people who do support us. I'm sure there are people out there who say I I don't like that because it, you know, you didn't take a conservative slant on a story or a liberal slant. That's fine. We're not. We're probably not going to change their minds. Um, but it does resonate with a very large section of the community that supports us financially. And I, I know this because, um, like Danny, we've just gone through a year-end fundraising. We did very well. I can't count the number of notes I got from people with small checks saying, we appreciate you playing it down the middle. So that's very heartening to hear. Danny, you have, uh, as you said, a very diverse area, uh, politically, uh, also religious-wise, some very deeply religious pockets of your region and other areas that are not so much. Uh, does that play a part in, in your coverage or your nonpartisanship? Yeah, I think, you know, there's absolutely a, a relationship there, Um and, uh, you know, we have uh, been making an effort uh, to, you know, speak with different faith communities uh, on subjects um, that, that are relevant as they come up. I think uh, it, across the region, um, religion plays a, a pretty big role in public life. Um, and so this is something that uh, we want to continue to focus on. One of our board members um, uh, Laura Herbert Allen uh, is a religion reporter for 100 Days in Appalachia, um, which is also a nonprofit news organization. Um, and we've been discussing uh, various ways we might collaborate or, or learn from the work that they're doing um, to bring more religion coverage uh, to the Athens County Independent and, uh, you know, to, to see what we can do to enhance our coverage uh, uh, in general um, through the work that they're doing. Um, and, and so on. So it's definitely an ongoing conversation uh, in the independent. We've been talking about the doom and gloom of uh, local news, uh, but as Andy pointed out, uh, you know, this is really a, an era of experimentation and rebirth with all kinds of models for local news out there. Andy, uh, you have a, a model that's interesting because your content is actually distributed through uh, a mainstream newspaper. Is that correct? That is correct. So uh, in this county, uh, it's called Rappahannock County, there is a newspaper, a weekly, that's been around probably for 100 years. And it's, uh, it's basically a good little paper. And it was purchased about 10 years ago or 11 years ago by someone that I worked with at the Washington Post. His name is Dennis Brock. Uh, and uh, Dennis did what any smart new owner publisher would do. He went around the county, had these little coffees and asked people what they thought of the paper. And everybody said they liked the paper, but they said the problem is there's just not enough in it. And what you need to do is you need to hire a bunch of reporters. And basically he said, you're absolutely right. We need more content. Uh, but we can't afford more reporters. And I think he had a staff of maybe one editor and maybe a reporter at that time. So at one of those coffees were two key people. One is a guy named Bill Deedle, who passed away a couple months ago, but 
Bill had spent a large part of his life as the head of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. And another person was a guy named Bud Meyer, a former newspaper guy with Miami Herald, who ended up as the vice president of Knight Foundation in Miami. They are the largest funder of journalism uh, ventures in in the United States. And they got together and they said, look, um, we don't really want to replace the paper, but is there a way we could form a nonprofit that would produce content that would supplement the reporting of the local paper? And that's what we do. So we hire uh, really quality freelancers. This is a benefit of being near Washington, D.C. We have some people that we rely on that worked at the Associated Press, the Wall Street Journal, places like that. And we, twice a month, we get on a Zoom call with the local paper and we say, well, we're, we're working on this, you're working on that, we don't want to duplicate. And then uh, we produce stories that appear in the Rappahannock News. So that is a different model than in some places where uh, people have thrown the, their hands up uh, because the local paper went under and they started a replacement uh, we actually work in concert with the paper, although we are separate uh, financially. So our only connection is through kind of a journalistic partnership. So I often like to tell people that's that's an interesting model. It works for us. Uh, it probably would not work in many different places. So the lesson here is uh, if you're trying to save local journalism, every place is different. You sort of have to... Uh, adapt to your own setting and uh, and come up with the model that works for you. Danny, the Athens County Independent hit a major milestone of any startup, and that's you've survived the, the first year and are on into the second, but you've got a totally different model. Uh, you're going it alone in a rural area, um, and you're you're trying to do this on your own. Talk talk about how you developed the business model that you are are working under, and what was the incentive to do that? Yeah, so I think first of all, I just want to echo what Andy said about uh, you know really needing to adopt uh, or adapt the business model to your local context. Um, in Athens, uh, you know. It's the home of Ohio University, as you mentioned, Tom, and we've had a really strong relationship from the beginning uh, with Ohio University, which has one of the premier journalism schools in the country. Um, We have multiple uh, faculty members from the journalism school who've served on our board and have helped us build connections with OU. Um, So we've benefited from uh, student interns who are paid by OU, um, both on the editorial side and on the business advertising side. Um, So that's been a tremendous relationship um, that uh, we're excited to continue developing um, through some other initiatives uh, that are in progress too. Um, But, you know, Athens also has a pretty strong um, local business uh, and local philanthropy emphasis. the region's home to various nonprofits, and and so I think people are used to, you know, uh, what it takes to to support uh, local nonprofits um, in the area. And so, um, we're really fortunate to have had a really high level of support out the gate from folks in the community who have seen the need uh, for what we're trying to do. Um, the real erosion of quality local news over the past couple of decades. Um, and then really resonated with our approach to trying to solve that problem, which is a nonprofit that's supported uh, by and for the community. Um, so, well, it was just you and and your co-founder that that started this enterprise. That had to be daunting, uh, and you've made marked progress in 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 one year. Um, you know, how much of that was local support? How much of that was national and regional grants. How, how did you figure out how you were going to support this from day one? Yeah, so we had a groundswell of support as we were getting started um, from across the country uh, and locally. Um, you know, people really resonated with what we were trying to do. Um, there was some, you know, conflict at uh, the legacy local newspapers where all of our founding team um, had been working uh, 
and that was myself and our our editor, uh, our designer, and our other staff writer. Um, and you know, we decided we wanted to try to start try to start a nonprofit alternative to really bring back uh, robust local news coverage. And so that got a pretty immediate reaction, a flood of small dollar gifts to help really provide some seed funding. Um, and then the success of that campaign in turn prompted um, some larger local funders, uh, you know, to award grants to help get the Athens County Independent off the ground. Um, and that was pretty much all uh, local philanthropy. Um, but then you used that to parlay that into some national uh, grants and national relationships with organizations. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we've been very fortunate to have had a pretty substantial uh, grant support throughout our first, uh, well, year and a half now of operation, um, and you know, really robust support from community members too, um, where we're really looking to grow. Um, in addition to, of course, increasing in those areas, is to build more relationships with the local business community. Um, to uh, promote advertising and sponsorship opportunities. Um, but but yes, yeah, to the point of national relationships, um, we are a partner of IndieGraph, which is a Canadian company, um, and they have a program that's funded by most of the major uh, national uh, philanthropic organizations in the United States to support news startups. Um, and so we're in their news startup fund, um, and they're helping us with marketing and technology and providing direct grant support too. Um, and then we've had a couple other funders kind of come out of the woodwork, resonating with what we're doing um, to provide some much needed funding as well. Um, so, so yeah, it's been really encouraging the level of support that, that we've received so far. Andy, you mentioned the the Knight Foundation. Could you uh, give us a, a, again another snapshot of of national support for startups now, and and how that seems to be blossoming and and really exploding? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, first of all, Knight Foundation, which is based in Miami, um, uh, they were instrumental with a an, an umbrella group for nonprofit news called the Institute for Nonprofit News in creating something called Newsmatch, which I know Danny and the Independent take advantage of. And basically it's national funders throw in money. And uh, every year, based on your size, they say, look, if if you raise $15,000 or whatever the amount is uh, in contributions of not more than $1,000 each, we will match that. So that's a great program that has helped uh, a lot of startups really get launched. But what you're seeing in uh, the last maybe four or five months is a a fund that uh, is enormous in size, and it really intrigues me. The the initiative is called Press Forward. It is uh, the MacArthur Foundation, Knight Foundation, about 20 others that came together and committed $500 million to, uh, to local news, to trying to save local news. Now, what intrigues me about this is that the minute they announced that, of course, everybody, uh, I'm sure Danny and her group and our group, we wanted to know, well, what, what are the criteria? How do we get a piece of this pie? So they had this enormous um, Zoom call where the head of the MacArthur Foundation, very bright guy, basically said, well, we don't have the criteria yet. So the question is, well, why would you announce a fund without have, telling us how we qualify for it? And what he said very explicitly is, we are doing this because we came together as national funders. And what we're encouraging you to do in communities or in regions is to get your local foundations and influential people together and form a similar coalition, come up with an idea for what needs to be funded. And then when you apply to us, we will look more favorably on your application. So I mentioned that because I think one of the exciting things that's happening is that place-based community foundations are realizing that um, local news is so essential to communities that they now have to find ways to support it annually, just as they every year routinely give to the United Appeal or the Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, or whatever. 
And, uh, and, and that's a really exciting thing. Now, I view this all as sort of a race against time. Uh, getting money from these large nonprofits, uh, uh, this, this is not a business model, but it may be a bridge to something. So you hit it right, Tom. We're in a period of amazing experimentation, and we'll just have to see how this plays out and how we get to sustainable business models. One thing that the uh, Athens County Independent does, uh, Danny, and maybe you can talk about this a bit, is that you uh, sell advertising and sponsorships. Uh, Andy, you don't have to do that, right? Because uh, you 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 just give your product to uh, a, a, an existing newspaper. That is correct. But yes, th- there there are some issues about selling advertising that are both positive and and negative, right, Danny? Of course. I mean, uh, yeah, I think one thing that we're trying to do very differently from the legacy news outlets is, you know, you will never see so much advertising in the Athens County Independent that it is detracting from your ability to read and understand an article. Um, And you'll also never see anything that looks like news coverage that's actually an advertisement. so, you know, we're trying to thread the needle pretty carefully um, and include advertising as a, you know, a service to our local business community uh, who, you know, often now at this point really struggle to figure out how to market themselves um, effectively to a local audience, uh, given the decline of the local newspapers and changes in the algorithms on uh, platforms like Facebook. Um, so we want to offer that service both to the business community and then to our readers um, to understand, you know, what are you know local businesses doing and what what options are available in town uh, to support local business. Um, so we view ourselves as really trying to foster that local business ecosystem uh, rather than having advertising just you know be clunky or, or you know from national sources that might not resonate with a local audience and and so on. So we're trying to do it differently, but we are trying to build that as a major revenue stream. I want to talk a little bit about partnerships and let me uh, go to you again, Danny, on partnerships. You mentioned the partnerships with Ohio University and the EW Scripps School of Journalism and the Scripps College of Communication. But you also have other partnerships with other nonprofits uh, around the state. How does that work, and how important is that to what you're doing? Well, first, I think collaboration is uh, pretty essential uh, to the future of local news. Kind of like Andy was talking about with sharing, uh, you know, the Foothills Forum content with the local newspaper. Our content is published under a Creative Commons license. Uh, And so anybody can uh, republish our stories um, for free, uh, as long as they give credit and link back um, to the independent. But, uh, you know, we are trying to increase access to information and uh, across the board. And so I think partnership and collaboration is really important for that. Um, So we've partnered with other local, uh, regional and national news outlets um, uh, in the time that we've been around. Uh, We've had conversations with and stories published in uh, the Buckeye Flame, which is Ohio's uh, only statewide LGBTQ plus focused newsroom, uh, where I also serve on the board of directors. Um, And uh, we've also had some coverage published in Inside Climate News, uh, which is a national uh, Pulitzer Prize winning publication focused on the environment. Um, And uh, then in turn, we've republished some of the stories from both of those outlets. Um, And, uh, you know, we also have a relationship to the local high school uh, journalism program at the Tri-County Career Center. Uh, another one of our staff members, our editor, Corinne, serves on their board, and uh, we also republish some of their content and have ha- had some opportunities for students to shadow as well. And so, um, you know, we, we really do view that kind of collaboration as uh, really important um, to in- increasing access to information and, and creating opportunities uh, for journalists um, who, are, who are maybe students at OU or Tri-County and so on. 
Andy, you you have access to a lot of news organizations uh, housed in the Washington area. Are, uh, do you do any partnerships uh, to create the stories that you then give to your local paper? We do. Um, we are focused on basically a three-county area. We're pretty far from Washington, D.C. and the suburbs of Northern Virginia. But as you get closer, there are local news outlets that we are collaborating with. For instance, right now we're, we're in the process of reporting a, a major uh, series on affordable housing that will cover the three county area. And those stories will run in news outlets um, in all three counties. And those news outlets will be helping with the reporting. Um, Danny correctly hit on the importance of collaboration and cooperation. and. Let me just add another way that uh, I think you can do that that gets beyond content, but it, it's small things that can help. Uh, in our case, we are um, basically uh, convening a libel seminar for journalists in our region. Now, why, why would you think that's important? Well, nothing can put you out of business faster than an expensive libel suit. And, and having uh, fortunately, on our board, we have one of America's great First Amendment attorneys. We have another person who has helped us with this in the past, who was the general counsel for many years for Gannett and an excellent First Amendment attorney. Uh, the training is very important there. We can do simple uh, collaborations on a regional basis by creating a database of qualified freelance reporters, because you're always scrambling for people to produce content. So the, the collaboration aspect of this is really huge because it stretches resources. Danny, I believe that the Athens County Independent, uh, picking up on what Andy said, uh, did a collaboration with the, uh, was it Case Western Reserve Law School? Yeah. Uh, to do a First Amendment uh, symposium uh, in partnership with Ohio University. Yeah, this fall, uh, we did hold that event. And it was really great to see so many student journalists come out. And it was also a really good learning opportunity for the staff of the Athens County Independent uh, to learn about our First Amendment rights um, as journalists, um, and uh, our rights specifically within Ohio. Um, It was a yeah, great seminar, uh, and we intend to do it again. I'm going to talk about some uh, staffing issues and is specialized uh, relationships. Uh, I know, Danny, that uh, you're looking at the possibility of having a specialized reporter uh, to do nothing but environmental issues. And there is a potential of funding for that uh, it's a partnership between you, Ohio University, and you, you've put in grant application for that. How important is that to building your staff uh, to get specialized uh, reporters like that? Yeah, I think it's very important. I mean, first of all, there's, there's funders interested in supporting those kind of uh, positions, but uh, more importantly, you know, Back in the day, it was common for local newsrooms to have beat reporters um, focused on uh, subjects like schools or health or, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and that, as, as newsroom employment has declined, that's really gone away. And so you have one or two reporters trying to cover everything about what's going on in a county, um, which uh, is still, unfortunately, our position at The Independent, although, you know, I think we're we're doing a fairly good job of it. Um, ultimately, uh, we're going to need reporters focused and, and cultivating expertise in particular areas uh, to really offer the kind of robust subject matter journalism uh, that you know used to be a staple of any newspaper. Um, and you know, particularly the environment, I think, in Athens County and in Southeast Ohio is a really important topic. Uh, you know, there's a long history of extraction uh, and extractive industry in this region that continues, um, and a whole host of environmental problems that come with that. But then there's also a, a lot of focus on utilizing the natural assets of the region um, as an opportunity to, you know, increase economic development and tourism. Um, 
but there hasn't been much of a robust look within the public sphere and within journalism at, uh, you know, what, what are the different approaches to doing that? And what are the different uh, consequences of doing that good and, and potentially also, you know, complicated. So uh, I think it's really important uh, for our area. I, I know uh, staffing is difficult for the independent as it is for any startup. Uh, you have you and your co-founder, uh, also uh, another reporter, and you're working on this specialized uh, reporter through through grant funding. Uh, it seems like you're all wearing eight million hats here. And yes. uh, how can you do everything all at once? Um, well, that's a great question that I ask myself every day. <laughs> um, I think as the organization grows and matures, it's going to be really important eventually for us to have staff that's dedicated to the business uh, and administration and, and fundraising side of the organization. Um, in addition to, you know, our staff focused on journalism so that we can hopefully all wear fewer hats. Um, right now, you know, we just do what we're able to do as we're able to do it and we do the best job we can. And I think, uh, you know, people in the community have really resonated with, with that and with what we've been doing. Um, right now we are scrappy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, that in some ways that's an asset. Uh, of course, as we grow, uh, we hope that'll change. <laughs> Andy, you have a report for America position, I believe. And it, it, could you tell us about that whole concept of reporting for America and, and how you get those positions? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is a program that was started maybe five, six, seven years ago Uh for people who are familiar with Teach for America, it's a very similar uh, structure. So um, Report for America basically assembles a pool, typically of recent uh, college journalism grads. And if you are a news organization in Ohio, like The Independent or uh, Foothills Forum and, and our local weekly here, you apply for one of these positions. And if you are selected, uh, the, I think the first year, maybe Report for America pays more than 50%. You pay the rest. And then in subsequent years, a year two, or if you're lucky, year three, you pay a, a larger burden. So it's basically uh, defraying the cost. In Virginia, we were the first to get a Report for America reporter. And uh, when she uh, moved on, we got a second one. Um we have now not applied for a third one because the paper, and this is a, a commentary on on uh, the fragility of local news, the paper says they cannot afford their share. So what we did was we hired our own full-time reporter, a young woman who's straight out of the University of Georgia, terrific. She grew up in a rural community. Her undergraduate research was on uh, news deserts or the struggles of news organizations in rural areas. So uh, that's not to say we won't do it in the future, but um, it was a godsend to us, and it's a terrific program, and I think it's an example of the creativity that's that's going on in that space. That's uh, your uh, first full time reporter, correct? Yes, uh, because you you've done a freelance model uh, before that. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. So has that changed the dynamics of your coverage? No, not really. Uh, it's actually helped us a little bit. You know, our, our niche is that we tend to do deeper dive stories that the local paper can't cover. So we're not going to cover most public meetings. They do that. We're not going to cover car crashes or barn fires, things like that. Uh, it frees up our reporter to do those sort of deeper dive things. Uh, the issue really is we have a terrific small stable of freelancers uh, the challenge is they're all in their 70s. They all have other interests. They're all terrific. But at some point, we have to think about the future. And at, at some point, one of them might just say, you know, I'd rather uh, I'd rather paint than, uh, than do freelance work for Freedom uh, Foothills Forum. So uh, you always have to be looking over the horizon. You know, if I could just go back to something Danny mentioned about uh, sure. specialized reporting. One of the interesting things that's going on in many communities across the country 
is the creation of what are called community news funds. And these are where local foundations, either run by uh, wealthy individuals or by organizations, they pool their resources and then local news organizations in a region uh, apply for grants to fund a specialized reporter. So what that might mean is in the community, you de determine that the environment is a huge issue or that uh, mental health in schools is a huge issue or the arts is a huge issue. You would apply to that community news fund. They would then finance a reporter that would cover uh, that specific topic, not just for one news organization, but for many. And I, I offer that as just as an example of the creativity that's going on. It's hard to manage those, but it it, it does sort of help you on the margins uh, with this production of, of content that's relative to your local audience. And what you're doing, Danny, is is a variation on that same theme, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I want to move on to where this goes in the next iteration. Um, and, and let me stay on staffing just for a moment. The, the Plymouth Independent here in Plymouth, Massachusetts, is is staffed by expatriates from uh, the Boston Globe. Uh, that seems to be a no-brainer, and it's it's well-staffed and easy. It's got uh, your friend, uh, Andy uh, Robbie Robinson, is an advisor, right, that yeah. did Spotlight um, uh, for the Boston Globe. Uh, that is probably easier than recruiting somebody to Rappahannock County or somebody to Athens, Ohio. Um, what's the future here? Are, are young people going to want to take on this kind of journalism? Is this the, the, the new glitzy journalism? Uh, would they rather go to Rappahannock than go to Washington? You know, what kind of recruitment are you going to have both in Athens and in Rappahannock County? Well, I, I can tell you for Rappahannock County, it's very hard to get any young person to come to a rural community. It requires someone who really, like the person we hired, someone who really believes in it. And here's the reality. That if you're coming out of journalism school at the Scripps uh, Journalism School at Ohio University, chances are you can get a job in, in Washington. There are lots of opportunities for entry-level jobs. You'll starve, uh, but you know, you'll starve in almost any journalistic uh, opening job. So it's uh, recruitment to areas like ours is very difficult. Pay is a huge issue. You know, I can tell you that the editor of the Rap Hannock News, who is, I believe, 24 years old and uh, a fairly recent graduate of the University of Iowa, I'm sure she could make more money working at McDonald's, <laughs> you know, given the hours that she works. So you really, it, it's, a, it's a labor of love. You're looking for people who are passionate about it. Now, one way we've tried to tackle that, I will say preemptively unsuccessfully, is we, we had this idea that we might be able to teach um, citizens how to be journalists. We, we, we thought that maybe there might be a retired English teacher or a former coach at the high school or something that would like to cover sports. And so we created a course called Citizen Journalism 101, and uh, we had um, limited response to it. And uh, But I haven't given up on that idea, and I, I think that uh, there may be ways, again, to tackle it on the margins. You may get somebody who you can who knows a lot about art, but and you can teach them to write uh, honestly, ethically, uh, accurately about the arts in your community. So I think that's part of the experimentation that has to go on. Danny, how, how are you in recruiting? Well, uh, you know, I think having the presence of the Scripps School here and having the relationships uh, that we do to OU where we can, you know, offer opportunities to student journalists for internships and so on uh, does create sort of a recruitment pipeline, ideally, of folks who, uh, you know, might fall in love with reporting on Athens County when they're a student uh, interning at The Independent and then want to stick around. Um, we also, you know, really want to uh, provide an opportunity for folks who are from this region to be able to stay and work here if they want to. 
Um, we have uh, discussed uh, some of the sort of local resident uh, journalism training that Andy's talking about. Um, so that's something, uh, you know, that we might want to bounce ideas around with you at some point about Andy to learn from, to learn from your experience. Um, but yeah, you know, we have a lot of talent in this area. Um, and currently there hasn't been much opportunity in in journalism for folks to stay. And so we want to create a, a vehicle for that. It seems like journalism schools, and Andy, I know you're on the accrediting uh, teams that, that that look at this. Journalism schools always give honor and the major kudos to the person who goes to the network and broadcast, the person who goes to New York or Washington in, in journalism. And the 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 what I call the blue-collar journalist doesn't get a whole lot of credit and a whole lot of kudos. Um, do you think that'll change? I'm not sure it will change. Uh, but I, I think, I think not everybody is cut out to be a journalist and certainly not everybody is cut out to be a community journalist. Uh, Tom, you and I have may have talked about this, but when I was doing some teaching at Ohio university at the journalism school, I, I always found it amusing when I would talk to students, journalism students about their career path. And I would say, have you ever thought about going to Keokuk, Iowa or some remote place? And invariably, they would say, uh, no, I just I don't see myself there, you know. And so I usually let the conversation go. And then I ask them, have you ever thought about going to the Peace Corps? And almost everybody said, yeah, I've thought about that. So you have to stop them and say, so so you would go to Djibouti that has limited Internet access and get paid two dollars a month, but you wouldn't go to Keokuk? The reason I'm mentioning that is it forces them to think about the role of a journalist. You know, it's 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 not unlike being a minister or a country doctor. You know, you're you're serving humanity, and in many cases, you're not going to get wealthy, but the satisfaction of reporting honestly on a community uh, is is immense. You can you can literally see change happen because of your reporting. So that's not for everybody. Not for it probably wasn't for me when I was that age, but uh, but it can be enormously satisfying. Last thing I want to talk about is public funding, and this is something that's been talked about sort of on the fringes. Looking at Congress uh, passing something similar to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And just to give a, a quick insight for our listeners, Congress gives money to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting then gives that money to National Public Radio and to uh, Public Broadcasting, um, the PBS. Uh, so, and then those entities give the money down to the local uh, affiliate stations. So is there any thought of creating some public funding for this kind of journalism? Either one of you. I think uh, replicating the model for public broadcasting is probably unlikely to pass uh, in any well, legislative I think anything's model. unlikely to pass in Congress, yeah, but right. that's just that's, my point of view. But go forward true. anyway with but, the idea. But there has been, in the last couple of years, uh, legislation that has gotten much farther than I ever thought it would. And it, it, it calls for things like refundable tax credits for news organizations that employ local reporters or a tax break for small businesses that advertise in uh, local newspapers or an idea that I've often wondered why it couldn't work. Could you offer legislatively um, student loan uh, relief for those journalism students that commit to go to a small community for three, three years, something like that. Um, it's, it's a very controversial topic, even in our industry, because we report on government and we don't want to be beholden to government. But I think it's worth reminding ourselves that newspapers have for centuries enjoyed uh, postal rate advantages for the delivery, special rates. So there are precedents for giving incentive to news organizations to help them stay in business. 
Certainly, it's it's a funding debate each and every budget cycle, but uh, uh, the public funding has not hampered the news coverage of PBS uh, NewsHour or or NPR's news coverage. Uh, well, for so that matter, there is be, uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation. You know, there's a really smart guy that's dealing with uh, this whole local journalism thing, a guy named Steve Waldman, who was one of the co-founders of Report for America. And he's now the head of a group called Rebuild Local News. And he he has started to advocate for a federal fund to hire local journalists. And he pointed out, should I recall this correctly, that if you committed $1.5 billion out of the budget, that's a big figure, but compared to the full budget, it's not that large. If you committed that a year, he says you could sustain 25,000 local reporters at average salaries of 60,000. So when you think about it that way, uh, it becomes a more compelling case for the government to somehow weigh in. That You have to weigh this. I mean, what's, what's the consequence of allowing local news organizations to go under? Well, the consequence for democracy is terrible. Danny, I, I want to ask you a question. Andy and I are old. <laughs> we're at the end. We're at the end of our careers. Uh, you're young. You're at the beginning of your career. Um, do you see this as something that you're committed to, and will it evolve to a point where, twenty years from now, you'll you'll still be doing this? Well, I hope so. Um... You know, I really fell in love with community journalism when I started doing it. I had never really considered um, becoming a journalist uh, throughout most of my life and um, ended up kind of taking a circuitous path into it. Um, but just right when I started, realized, wow, this is a really great way where I can use my skills as a writer and a storyteller and communicator to uh, give back to the local community in a way that feels really meaningful and really has an impact on people's lives. Um, I think I appreciated the importance of local journalism before I started doing it, but then actually doing it and going out and talking to people and uh, hearing what they had to say and reporting on it, um, you know, just started to hit a little different. And um, yeah, I still love doing it. And I really hope that um we are able to find sustainable business models to uh, support, uh, you know, quality journalism, um, both at the local level and, and beyond. Um, because there are people who, uh, like me and, and like you all, who do love this work um, and see the importance of it and, and want to be doing it. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Andy, you, you've gone the full gamut of being the head of a, a major Washington news bureau for Cox Newspapers for over 30 years, and then ombudsman at the Washington Post, and now you're board chair of the Foothills Forum. Uh, it's sort of circling your way back, but you know your personal feelings about that journey. Well, I, I love where I am now. Um, you know, I, as you know, you've known me all my life almost, but, right. uh, uh, I love journalism and I think it's, it's incredibly noble when done well. And at the local level, there's enormous satisfaction here that you don't get from producing stories from Washington. And that satisfaction comes from being close to the people you're covering and actually listening to, to them in the coffee shops and, uh, reflecting their views and, and unearthing stories. So I think it's an amazingly satisfying period. Uh, the one sort of surprising thing is uh, I'm a journalist. I'm not a fundraiser, but I, I have to be a fundraiser now. And that's, right. that's a whole new skill set. But, um, uh, you know, it's I just find it very rewarding. And I, and I like the fact that there are young people like Danny who want to devote their lives to it. It's just enormously important. Let me thank both of you. But before we end, uh, if somebody is so inclined to donate either to the Foothills Forum or to the Athens County Independent, I assume that there are ways to do that 
uh, on your various websites. Is that correct? Indeed. Yes. It'd be right on the main page of our website. Uh, just uh, Google Foothills Forum, Rappahannock County, and it'll come up. And, and same Danny? thing with us. Yeah. If you if you search for Athens County Independent or go to AthensIndependent.com, um, there are buttons uh, right at the top to subscribe uh, to our work, to follow what we're doing, and also to support. Um, and we are, you know, a reader-supported outlet. Uh, that's how all of this has been possible. I'd like to thank both of you for uh, painting the picture for us of sort of the dismal status of local news, but also uh, giving us a ray of hope that there are new and, and better mechanisms in the future to deliver local news. Thanks so much for having us on, Tom. Yes, thank you. Today, we've been talking to journalists Andy Alexander and Danny Kington about the national decline in local news and what might save it. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of our podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.